Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast, episode 512, A Painful Truth. Was Gehenna a place or a metaphor or both? How can we be kind to an adversary? And how serious was he when Jesus told us to start gouging out our eyes and cutting off our hands? Answers to these questions and more as we continue our mini-series on the Sermon on the Mount. Hello, everyone. Good to be together again on this series we're doing on the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Today, it's actually part 12, which surprises me. Uh, We're going to look at chapter 5, 21 to 30. What we've covered in the last couple of weeks were the uh, the Beatitudes, which are the blessings that Jesus gives. This is how he sees us. And, and then the transitional time where he gave us our true identity of salt and light. Now we're coming into the commands of Jesus, but they're not commands like the Old Testament commands. They, they come out of a whole kingdom ethic. In fact, this section is called the six antitheses because six times he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And there's something very authoritative in that. And so at the heart of these commands is, is a new life. It's a life of the kingdom. You know, he's talking to a people on the mountain uh, who were very much dominated by a religious system run by Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes, who focus so much on actions that the law requires. Um, And and religion always tends to specify what are the actions, what are the rules, how should they be carried out. And the result for them, and sadly for some of us, is there's a social pressure to conform to the law as the religious leaders interpret it. But the, but the inner dimensions of the heart, uh, the inner dimensions of our character are, are not touched. They remain unchanged. So <clears throat> these come from this outer appearance. There's a, there's a need to appear righteous before men. Jesus called this hypocrisy, which literally means play acting. And uh, he warned that Disciples at one point while they were crossing the lake, he says, watch out for the the yeast of the Pharisees, this this hypocrisy. Instead, Jesus focuses on the inner life, on inner righteousness. And that's the the framework for everything I'm going to share today. It goes way beyond specific rules, which, let's face it, we're more comfortable if we know what the rules are. But instead, it looks... For, for more far-reaching principles. It's not so much about the negative goal of avoiding a specific sin, which, which the Old Testament law really was, but it, it's about the far more demanding positive goal of discovering and following what it really means uh, to follow the will of God, to live in the kingdom of God. So the rest of this chapter, and we'll cover it over this week and next, is Jesus teaching on the rightness and the goodness of the kingdom heart and life. So let's uh, let's begin with his command against anger. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that it is that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. These are strong words, obviously. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. These are strong words. They're very different from blessed or the poor in spirit. He knew he needed to encourage us before he he challenged us. So 
in this section, Jesus is talking about anger, but did you see how he connected murder with anger? He's saying at, at the root of murder is anger. Most of, of our wrongdoing is, is, comes out of anger or contempt. Now, anger is a spontaneous response that affects the body. Um, it just rises up. And the primary function of, of anger is to alert us to the obstruction of our will that this isn't going to work. Uh, it raises in me uh, an instinctive alarm and resistance. And, and so in this sense, anger anger is not a sin. Uh, be angry, but do not sin, Paul said. Anger happens. The issue is what we do with it. Well, like many of the sessions, we're going to look at several things the church fathers had to say. I find them incredibly, incredibly helpful. Stossum said this, Surely you are not unaware that in a moment of hostility, when anger is inflamed and the soul is enkindled, even the smallest thing appears great and the slightest insult seems unbearable. Even when words are spoken thoughtlessly, they are perceived as spoken with an evil intent. Jesus is saying literally, whoever is remaining angry, that's how the verb works there. He's talking about carrying anger, not that flash of anger. He's not forbidding us to ever get anger, but uh, angry, but rather it's a, it's a, a lifestyle and a mindset that's adversarial. And it can so easily become a pattern, and we become an angry person, irritable, temperamental, judgmental. You know, anger and pride are very closely linked. Uh, a person who has uh, embraced anger is a person with a wounded ego. Let me say that again. Someone who is an angry person is someone with a deep wound, a wounded ego, and you've seen it, I've seen it, 40 years of ministry. And so, just as an aside, even when we're confronted with anger, we need to be aware compassionately of their woundedness. But Jesus is saying that when anger is embraced, it poisons us and everyone around us. Uh, the writers to Hebrews calls it a root of bitterness by which many are defiled. Much of the suffering of the world is simply the natural outcome of people choosing to be angry. Paul said, lay aside anger in Colossians 3.8. You know, this was so hard that some of your Bibles, if you have, for example, a King James, a new King James, it says to be angry uh, without a cause. That was not in the original manuscript. Jesus never said that. It was picked up later and then picked up by the King James Version. That's because this is these are not easy commands. If we allow Jesus' words to stand without softening them or watering them down, they can work deep conviction. His, his words will drive us back to the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, Jesus commands, if we will let them, they lead us every day to conversion. We get saved every day because his commands are such good evangelists. They invite us daily to himself. So the Beatitudes, they comfort us in our defeats. The commands challenge us in our complacency. So not only does he go after anger, he goes after contempt. Verse 22, but I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. If you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. If you say you fool, you'll be liable to the, uh, the hell of fire. Contempt is much more common in life than anger. Uh, we may put it in nice words. Contempt often leaks out as gossip. Uh, I don't mean anything but by this, but. Don't get me wrong, but. You see, in anger, I want to hurt you. But with contempt, I don't care whether you're hurt or not. Uh, you know, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And, and the intent uh, and the effect of contempt is to exclude someone. It's to say, you don't matter. It's to leave them out. It's to isolate them. 
Insult and contempt violate someone's worth. In, in, it, in our culture, it's so easy just to call somebody whatever, a jerk, or fool was actually a very strong word in Aramaic. And sometimes we have some pretty strong words that I won't repeat here. But, but what they're doing is they are denying their worth, and therefore they are denying what God says about them. Exclusion, contempt is always very, very painful. The fear of exclusion is, is almost universal. I'm sure many of you know the expression now, FOMO, uh, uh, marketing people use it a lot, fear of missing out. We have a deep, almost universal fear, especially until we find a deep place of abiding in Christ, of somehow being excluded or, or missing out. Another church father that I, I think I've only referred to maybe once in this series uh, from the 4th century, Peter Chrysologus said this, Ridicule aimed at one person redounds to the insulting of everyone. Just how great is the force of a word that whoever says to his brother, you fool, will be accorded severe punishment? Very great, my brothers, very great. For Christ is our brother. And Christ is the wisdom of God. Therefore, whoever says to his brother, you fool, has ridiculed God's wisdom. Contempt, words like that, they, they show what we really feel about a person. It, it, it's a violation of, of their soul. It's a violation of their identity. And, and, and those words intend great harm. We all remember, I can remember the first time I heard my mother say, don't worry about it, son. Sticks and stones may uh, break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, I long ago forgot any physical wax, but I can still remember. I can still remember the violation of contempt. And then he says, if you say you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. Now, I want to just draw a little bit from one of my mentors and dearest friends, Brad Jerzak. Jesus didn't say the word hell, actually. He said Gehenna. And uh, it's pretty important we get a, a handle on this because he uses the word three times in this chapter. But hell never appeared in any original languages. It was used by the King James translators. It's actually an old Anglo-Saxon word. Years ago, when I had to teach Middle English and dabble in Old English, helle, H-E-L-L-E, an Anglo-Saxon word that meant Netherland. Um, Gehenna is what Jesus said. And, and, and most scholars think that it was likely a garbage dump on the south side of Jerusalem, over the wall, and it was where the refuge of the city was there and burned. It's interesting, I recently read that, that during the Roman occupation, they would often throw bodies into it. It was, it was just a, a constant burning. It was, it was hellish. Um, later, we're going to share with you a little bit about what's going on in India, where bodies are being burned everywhere. So Gehenna clearly is about judgment, but, but we've pushed it into the end times. It is primarily Jesus used Gehenna uh, as a picture of the impact of our sin that it has on ourselves and others right now. It's not an end times reference. It's a right now. For Jesus, Gehenna referred to the distinctive consequences of rebellion, rebelling against God, rebelling against what I like to call the rhythm of the kingdom. Gehenna can be understood as a metaphor. This, Get this, folks. If you get one thing today, get this. Gehenna should be understood as a metaphor for spiritual lostness and alienation from God. Hmm. I told you early on as we were getting foundation laid for John uh, Matthew's gospel, that Matthew presents us with a, a spiritual warfare or what's called Christus Victor paradigm. There is warfare, spiritual warfare going on. And part of this use of Gehenna is a warning and a, 
uh, an affirmation that this spiritual war is going on. Just as Jesus says the kingdom of God is with you, is in you, is among you, is in your midst, so is the destructive reality of Gehenna. Remember when in uh, Matthew 16, right after Peter affirmed, or Jesus affirmed Peter, then Peter says, oh, that's not for you. You don't need to do that. He said, get behind me, Satan. The power of Gehenna, get behind me. John 10.10, one of my favorite scriptures when I'm preaching the gospel. The thief, that is the spirit that is uh, pictured, the metaphor in Gehenna, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, especially since the Reformation, Gehenna, we've pushed it to mean final judgment. We've pushed it to, to the end times. And we failed thereby to see Jesus' warnings against the destructiveness of our own rebellion and our own idolatry, personal and national, the destructiveness of it right now. This is so important, folks. God is not threatening here with Gehenna to, to punish us with a future fiery torture. Instead, Instead, he's saying, what you're doing, you're, you're, it's like you're creating your own hell. And yes, there will be judgment. Yes, there will be consequences. But you're living in them right now as you turn away from the kingdom of God. And in fact, he goes on to promise that the message of the kingdom is oppression, is freedom rather, relief and freedom from the oppression right now. Now, there is judgment. For those who, without repentance, hurt people, there are consequences. But the consequences are now, and they're, they're when we have turned away, and when while we are still stubbornly holding on to our anger or our hatred, which he calls murder. You know, if we're going to look at this most ethical gospel uh, and most ethical section in it, then... <sighs> We need to understand serious ethics come with serious warnings. We don't, we don't honor God's love by omitting references to judgment. Jesus takes us beyond the surface of the law, and he presents us with the holiness of God. Now, there's some different definitions of holiness, and I'm not going to go through them all today. I, I reference them sometimes. One is divine consent. We see that in Romans 1 and 2. But here's one. Uh, Dale Bruner defines the holiness this way. The wrath of God is not the irritability of God. It is the love of God in friction with injustice. Isn't that good? The love of God is at war with anger and contempt and hurting. Jesus is not giving us uh, more things that we shouldn't do. Don't get angry. Don't contempt. Don't commit adultery. He is giving us a revelation of just how precious people are. Folks, The my journey that I've referred to these last 10 years, more and more into the mystery of Christ, is revealing slowly but progressively more and more the preciousness of people. And that's what Jesus is getting at. He wants us to treasure those around us and, and see them as those who have been designed by God with infinite worth and eternal purpose. So Jesus is working at a much deeper level than the Old Testament law. He's taking us to the source of our actions. He's taking us deeper into the love of God. And, and he's bringing us into harmony with him and with people. So, how do we do it? How do we? He gives us some positive steps, some guidance, how to break free from anger and contempt. He does it with two illustrations. One is, is going to church, and one is going to court. In the first one, he addresses our relationship with our brothers and sisters. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. 
Another one of the church fathers, Theodore, said this, Jesus does not even receive the sacrifice of worship without the sacrifice of love. I love that quote. So where was the altar? His audience, his audience is in Galilee. He's on the mount. But the altar is in Jerusalem at the temple. So his audience would have heard how, how serious it is to come to the altar without first reconciling. He's saying, if you go to the altar and you remember you have something against someone, they have something against you, then go reconcile. This would have meant an 80-mile trip each way to make things right. What was his point? Right relationships demand decisive action. Clear, not compromised action, not, well, I'll get to it. His commands drive us to action. Christostom said this about this passage of going to the altar, going to worship, going to give an offering to, to Yahweh. And then this is what Jesus says. First, go reconcile. Christostom responds with, what all surpassing love is shown to humanity, showing no regard for the honor that is rightfully his. He calls us to pour forth love toward our neighbor. Interrupt the service you are offering to me, says the Lord, so that your love may continue. Be reconciled to your brother to be reconciled to your brother is to offer sacrifice to me. This is the reason Jesus did not say after the offering or before the offering, but right in the midst of it. Jesus is putting the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself, before the great law, Shema, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. He's saying, put people first. To reconcile is to offer sacrifice. Jesus is making reconciliation so important so that there's no wiggle room. There's no room for excuse. St. Augustine, as I said, this is a day for the church fathers. He sees the altar. Yes, the altar was the temple, but he sees it at a little bit deeper level too, a more interior sense. He said, in the spiritual sense, therefore, we may understand faith as an altar in the inner temple of God to which the visible altar symbolically points. St. Hilary, whose stuff I just love, said this, The Lord allows no one to offer a prayer without the spirit of peace. If one remembers at the altar that he harbors a grudge, he is commanded to make reconciliation with a human peace before returning to a divine peace. And so cross over from the love of humanity to the love of God. He is saying the only authentic way by the standard Jesus gives us in these incredible verses, the only authentic way to love God is to love people. This was a, a prophetic tradition that could be found in the Old Testament. There's a few verses, but I'll give you one. Hosea 6.6. 6. I'm going to read from the message. God says this, I'm after love that lasts, not more religion. I want you to know God, not go to more prayer meetings. Wow. If we do not seek reconciliation with a sister or brother, then we come to the altar in vain. So once again, we see that Jesus puts the kingdom heart before appearances. At the altar, we're reminded to care about the things that God cares about. You know, it was the, the practice of the early church before uh, they came to the Lord's table, before they took communion. They didn't stay kind of in their spots, in their chairs, or sitting on the floor their practice was to get up, to mingle in an unhurried way, to greet one another, not to turn around and say good morning to your neighbor, but, but to mingle, to greet, to talk, and in this context, 
to confess any ill feelings, any anything they had against anybody there, as they were a community that was talking and greeting and mingling, then they were ready to come to the Lord's table. I, I think that would be a wonderful thing for us to rediscover in the 21st century. You see, a kingdom heart always longs for reconciliation. I've, I've said probably hundreds of times, the whole rhythm of Jesus is in, is in the direction of rescue, reconciliation, and restoration. So we need to ask ourselves, these, these verses force us to ask hard questions. What have I done? What can I do to reconcile? Have I done everything I can to reconcile? Um, do, I, do I refuse to default to ritual instead of gen, genuine acts of love and reconciliation? Do I mourn over broken relationships? Because in life there are broken relationships. Do I mourn over them? Have I done everything I can do? And the purpose of this illustration is to cause us to face honestly what is in our hearts and to show us the goodness of the kingdom heart. So all of that is, is in the example of church or the temple. Now we have a legal example, court. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. I've started on verse 25. While you're on the way to the court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. This time we're not talking about how we re relate to our brother and sister, but rather our adversary. And the word that jumps out in the passage I just read is quickly. When we don't deal with a relational problem immediately, the trouble spreads. You can count on it. And uh, he tells us, Jesus tells us to break this destructive chain of grievance where one picks up another's offense. Jesus tells us to think kindly toward our adversary, to try with genuine love to resolve the matter. To, to be kind toward an adversary does not mean to do whatever they demand. I want to be clear on that. It means to be honestly committed to what is good and to seek their well-being. Remember we talked about the literal and the moral and the, the spiritual or water-to-wine way of reading through all the scriptures. And I try to give you an example each week. Well, let's look right now from the literal, which is what is the truth that Matthew is conveying? Christosim again. Jesus then adds, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court. That is, don't be saying, what if I'm the injured party? What if I've been plundered and dragged before the tribunal? Even this kind of circumstance fails to qualify as an excuse or occasion for refusing to be reconciled. Jesus commands us, even in these circumstances, not to be at enmity with others. There's the, the moral reading, which is, how does this teach me to be more Christ-like? And I'll give just one quote, but if you refuse to be convinced by these words, you are wronging yourself more than your opponent. Church fathers were realists. And then we come to this water to wine, this spiritual. I, I've continued to insist that one of the things we've lost, largely since the Enlightenment, is the mystery of Christ. Understanding Christ is in every verse of the Scripture, and that with that, as Origen said, there are multiple meanings all the way through. And if we don't only see the surface, what it means, we haven't got it yet. So, so this is this is a little bit of what two of the church fathers had to say about this whole issue of of um, being taken to court with your adversary. And um, let me just get that scripture so we're doing it really clearly. Come quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you'll be put into prison. So here's, here's this water-to-wine meaning. Here's a couple of meanings as an example of how if we keep praying and looking deeper, we may see more. 
Chromatius, another church father I, I like very much. The opponent here <laughs> must be understood as the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? I've only ever seen it as some kind of enemy who's hassling me. The opponent here must be understood as the Holy Spirit who opposes the vices and desires of the flesh. Caesarius said this, The word of God is with you as an adversary on the way. The word convicts you is what he's saying. You have it in your power to come to terms with it, the word. Let us consent to the word of God as long as we are still in this life, because afterward, when we've passed out of this world, no agreement or satisfaction will be possible. If we listen to these commandments of Jesus with faith, we realize that that they both call us and, and form in us, create in us the will to love mercy, to love reconciliation, uh, to, to love pure relationships. Well, let's move on to the next section. We've looked at, at anger, and he's equated that with murder. Now let's look at lust. Starting at verse 27, you have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into Gehenna. So we're seeing this surpassing righteousness that Jesus said in verse 20 that he came to bring. So here he's redefining adultery. It was defined by action, and now he's moving it from, from the outward action to the, the heart, to the, to the level of wrong desire. He's saying that what anger is to murder, lust is to adultery. This is a higher ethic, and it drives us back. It drives us back to the Beatitudes. Jesus is clearly saying that the inner world of the mind and of the heart is as important as the outer world of words and actions. He says, if you're angry, it's as though you committed murder. If, if, you've, if you've had a lustful thought or even looked lustfully, it's as though you've committed adultery. So, as I was sharing with folks in our house church last night, because I've been thinking a lot about this this week, the reality is I'm a murderer and I'm an adulterer because I've certainly had times where I felt angry thoughts toward people. I've certainly looked uh, at an attractive person or even let my mind go. So therefore, if I take what he is saying to heart, how can I ever feel morally superior to anyone? I'm the murderer. I'm the adulterer. 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul said this to his spiritual son. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. See, lust is like anger. It, it, it seeks power and control over another person. It, it uses another person, either in our mind or as we act it out. It uses another person. You know, Jesus is declaring war on the secular gods of anger and lust. We are surrounded by those. There's no point in me taking our time to describe to you all the ways anger and lust bombard us through the media, through everything. But Jesus is declaring war on them. There's going to be times if we are going to follow the Jesus way, if we are going to truly be his disciples who do what he does, who go where he goes, I promise you this command, this command especially, I think, 
about lust is going to put us at odds with our culture. Because we're constantly being pressured to compromise in the area of sexual purity. I, I open up my phone and, and I said to Christina two nights ago, how did this get on my phone? Because it's, of course, some advertisement for some sexually impure thing. How did it get there? We're being bombarded all the time. And it's because the whole society says, oh, that's okay. Let's just go that way. It puts us at odds with our culture. And I'm telling you, it hasn't changed since the first century. If we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we must be committed to being cultural atheists. That is, we do not believe in the tenets of the culture we're in. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Looks literally um, means in the Greek to gaze upon, to keep on looking. I, I love the, uh, the 10 books that are not in, in many of your Bibles, but are in the rest of the world's Bibles. Um, and one of them is the wisdom of Sirach. I love the wisdom of Sirach. I think it's about 50 or 51 chapters. And uh, it's it's kind of like uh, Proverbs, but it's just filled as Proverbs is with great wisdom. Let me give you one. Sirach uh, 9.8. Do not gaze upon another's beauty. Christosom said, if you make this your habitual practice, kindling the furnace within you you will assuredly be overcome. Jesus knows that we're going to see people who attract us. What, what can, he's condemning is continuing to look at him in order to lust. That The difference is one just happens. The other is allowed to happen. We feed it. So for the sake of Christ and for the honor of other people, we control sexual lust. It has a corrosive effect on our soul and our relationship. And again, today, this isn't the time, but, but you, you, you know as well as I do the stats of the destructiveness about pornography. Did you know that the pornography business, if I can call it that, is now bigger than drugs? That is shocking, but that's true. And we know all of what it leads to, all of what it leads to, broken marriages and sex trafficking and, and some of the stuff that, that Christina works so hard against. It all starts with, with that, the lust, the, the feeding it, the allowing it. So he says, take action. And he challenges us to take decisive action. He says, do not make room for this habit that is causing destruction. He, remember, we had just talked a few minutes ago about Gehenna. Gehenna, not about, not about you know, the fiery hell at the end of life. We can talk about that another day. But Gehenna, Jesus is using it here as the primary picture about the impact of our sin on ourselves and others right now. And that's what he's saying. He doesn't say, well, you need to pull back, you need to dial down. He tells us be immediate and be radical. So what does he mean by saying, pull out your eye, cut off your hand? The church fathers understood that Jesus was not literally telling people to maim themselves. Although tragically, long ago, one well-known church father did, and then I think he made a discovery that we're going to look at in a moment. What he's really saying is, don't give yourself any wiggle room. Apollinaris, who was the bishop of Laodicea, remember the church of Laodicea in Revelation? He said this, he speaks about the members of the body, but employs hyperbole. It is not that one should literally cut off one's members. Rather, one is called to mortify them and render them useless for sin. The early church writers believed that Jesus is talking about cutting out compromising relationships with other people if they are close. In fact, as I studied, I was surprised to see this come up in more than one place, that that sometimes the eye we've got to pluck out, the hand we've got to cut off is somebody we really care about, 
but their influence on us is destructive. St. Hilary said, We are here being advised to pluck out inordinate loves or friendships if they are the occasion that leads further to wrongdoing. Jesus is not saying that the sacrifice required for sexual purity will be easy. By choosing these illustrations, he's saying the opposite. He's saying he knows that the sacrifice will be hard and it will be painful. But as large as the loss is, it cannot be compared with the loss of our whole life. This command shows us the depth of our sin and our tolerance for unreality in our Christian lives. When we're honest with ourselves, these words drive us to repentance. Paul said this, first in Romans 8, 13, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, literally, constantly put to death, the misdeeds of the body, you will live. He goes even harder in Colossians, Colossians 3, 5, and 6. Put to death decisively in a bold act, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. So I think it's important for me to remind you of Bruner's definition of the wrath of God. It is not the irritability of God. It is the love of God in friction with injustice. Here's another interpretation of Jesus' hand and eye example. Again, the point is he's teaching about the conditions of the heart, not our externals. He is addressing our attempt to solve the problem of the right sexual behavior through a law that governs specific behavior. Um, This is what we default to all the time. Frankly, some of what's going on for accountability groups is if we just get accountable and we, we all agree on what the rules are and we'll obey them and then you find out it doesn't work. He's addressing this attempt to to lead, uh, using the law to, to govern specific behaviors. In verses 29 and 30, he's saying that, that if you think that laws can eliminate being wrong, then to be consistent, you should cut off your hand or gouge out your eye so that you cannot possibly do the acts that the law forbids. If you blind yourself, you can't look at a woman. If you dismember yourself enough, you won't be able to do any wrong action. (laughs) This is the logic by which Jesus reduces the righteousness of the Pharisees to the ridiculous. Because the Pharisees believed the law could be satisfied and we could be good if we avoided all sinning. Again, emphasis on the negative. It's that you're right as long as you've done nothing wrong. But Jesus is teaching exactly the opposite. Even without an eye or without a hand, we could still have a wicked heart. The deeper question that Jesus addresses concerns who I am, not what I do. Religion always addresses what I do. Jesus says, it's who you are. You'll live out of who you are. The goodness of the kingdom heart is the love of God and the love of others around us that crowds out evil. From this goodness comes respect and purity that that characterizes sexuality as it was created by God to be because he created it for good. For one man and one woman, for a lifetime to be together, it was for good. So let me wrap this up. Jesus has moved us from blessings to commands. To follow him means a change in the deepest place, which is our hearts. If we will fully embrace his words without excuse, without watering down, 
that will lead us to the true life of following him, living as he lived. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. Next week, we're going to be confronted with this very issue of not watering down or excusing, but doing what he said. And at the same time, we can't do this by effort, by emotion, by grit. We can't. There's only one way, learning to live my life from his life that is inside me, which takes me back to my own life of abiding in him, every day abiding in him. As I recognize my culpability, my sin in making room for my anger and my contempt and my lustful thoughts, it pushes me right back to the Beatitudes again and again and again. And even more than that, it pushes me to the cross where Jesus meets me at the cross. As I'm confronted with what Jesus says, that it's reality. I have only two choices, to reject that reality with excuses or compromise or to embrace his words and allow myself to lose my imagined life. Because when he says, if you'll lose your life, you'll find it. It's really, you lose my imagined life in order to find my true, eternity-breathed kingdom life. Well, that's enough for today. Uh, Please stick around. In a moment, uh, Tim and I are going to lead in a, a discussion on these passages. God bless you. Now what? The gospel is meant to be lived. We now invite you to be a part of the discussion as we talk about how to apply this teaching. YouTube viewers can use the comments section below. You can also email your questions and comments to podcast at impactnations.com. Well, <laughs> those were some tough issues you tackled today. Stay tuned for part two. Indeed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I won't be here next week, so I'll be watching from afar. Um I'm looking forward to tackling a couple of questions with you. Um, before I do that, you mentioned something partway through that I think it's important that we talk about. Um, we, uh, at Impact Nations, every week we, we share a project with you. We've got a, a new opportunity, um, and it's pretty near and dear to our hearts. Uh, we've really been wrestling with it this week, and... Um, I know most most listeners will hear this after the fact. If you are listening in the next few hours to this, I want to invite you uh, to get the full scoop, to get the um, the full picture of what this is all about by joining us tonight. Uh, our dear friend, our brother, Randy Matthews, will be joining us uh, on uh, Zoom tonight uh, just to share some of what's going on in India. You talked about bodies being burned in yep. in the Gehenna. parking lots and stuff. It's Gehenna, yep. uh, very much so. Uh, and, you know, the Indian government, actually, to their credit, has done a lot uh, to try to keep up with what uh, Randeep is describing as a tsunami in terms of the current uh, cases yeah. for uh, for COVID, and it just keeps on coming and coming. And Some estimate 25,000 a day are dying. Yeah, because they just, they can't, they don't have enough space in hospitals, and so if you're not dying in hospital, it's likely... 1.3 billion people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we're going to get this, the full scoop tonight. Uh, if you want to join us uh, there, please do. It's tonight at 7 p.m., uh, mountain daylight time, uh, which is in uh, just about three hours, I think. Uh, you can register. You need to register. Uh, the space is limited, but there, we do have just a couple more spaces left uh, at impactnations.com slash randeep. Now, uh, in case you're listening to this after the fact, let me, let me just summarize a little bit here. Uh, the hospitals can't keep up. There's no more room. Uh, that's point one. Point two, there's no oxygen. They can't get oxygen to patients that desperately need it. And um, we are being invited by the government, Randeep is being invited, along with many other NGOs in India, to participate uh, in providing um, 
some very basic care for those who have a severe case of COVID and yet they cannot get into the hospitals yet. They're still waiting. Uh, and we're, we're going to be able to set up a clinic that will supply oxygen. Yeah. That's uh, the huge this one, is the big it? one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so because you can't get the big cylinders with, with oxygen, those are no longer available. But uh, what we can do is get these oxygen concentrators that actually supply an ongoing supply of oxygen without having to go out and purchase tanks and fill them and stuff. Uh, Randeep has proposed a 20-bed temporary facility. Uh, the facility itself will be supplied by the government uh, but and the beds. The rest of it is up to us. So we've got a big big job ahead of us uh and we'd really like for you to join us um so uh, and that those 20 beds doesn't mean we're going to take care of 20 people yeah good point yeah it's 20 people at a time but they'll be cycling through and uh randy believes that actually at times he'll be he'll be seeing as many as 80 patients in one day coming through these are beds for people while they wait to get into hospital um or I suppose if they are recovered to the point where they can get off of oxygen and get back home and recover. Um, but oxygen while they wait is really, really important. People are dying in the streets because they don't have oxygen. oxygen. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we'd, we'd invite you to join us. Uh, you'll be hearing more about this for several weeks to come. I, we're going to be talking about it a lot, so we'll, we'll learn more and more about, uh, about the opportunity, about the details of the plan. Uh, but, uh, Please be praying for our brothers and sisters mm. in India. Uh, it it was very when we've met with them twice now yeah. in a Zoom meeting, and uh, especially yesterday was uh, there were a lot of tears, yeah. and uh, some of us felt pretty shook up for a while. Yeah, yeah, it was hard. Um, and please give. Uh, the goal is very large. We're we're looking at a budget of over a hundred thousand uh, dollars. Much has has already come in. We've we've seen quite a bit come in just in the first twenty four hours of this campaign. Um, but it's going to take everybody working together to stand with uh, all of our brothers and sisters in India who are on the front lines and working incredibly long days between feeding and now caring for the sick. Uh, the yeah yeah it's this takes us right back to the bullseye of God's assignment when he spoke to me 18 years ago, uh, rescue lives. Yeah. That's what this is. Yep. This is quite literally rescuing lives. Uh, if you'd like to learn more, uh, if you'd like to give, it's impactnations.com slash India. It's that simple. Uh, and uh, you can read about the project there. Give. Uh, secondly, share. Uh, watch our, our Facebook uh, so that you can be sharing videos and, and posts, things like that. We'll be updating with stories regularly. We need to get more people involved. You know, I actually believe, I, I think that all of us have seen the headlines coming out of India in the last several weeks and thought, oh, it's heartbreaking, but what can I do? I, I'm at a loss. I don't know how to, how to get involved. This is a great way to get involved, directly involved. You yeah. will be rescuing lives, I guarantee it. Uh, so... Uh, please tell others because they're waiting to make a difference too. I promise you that. Yeah. All right. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about anger because I, I think that I think it's something we all struggle with at different times in our life. We also encounter others who are struggling with it. And I'd love to just get some practical tools on how to find that kingdom mindset, that kingdom heart you were talking about. I love that. Uh, and, so I want to come at it from both angles. If if people, if listeners find themselves in a season of anger where, for whatever reason, they've sometimes the enemy's just got a grip on us, uh, and I don't know. It's sometimes I don't know about you. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I just feel angry, and I haven't talked to anybody yet today because it's three a.m. <laughs> and I'm I'm suddenly like, why am I angry? Like, what is my problem? And I can't quite put my finger on it, but. For those who do find themselves struggling with anger, what are some practical steps we can Gee. take to get to find that kingdom heart? Okay, here's a couple of real practical things. There's so many things beyond what I could say right now, but we find if we're angry with someone, mm -hmm. start praying for them and not praying for their repentance. Just pray blessing on them. And uh, someone taught me that, uh, I don't know, almost 30 years ago, yeah. specifically, creatively pray blessing. Yeah. Um, if, uh, if I'm struggling with anger, 
I have to be transparent with the Lord. Yeah. And I can't default to the, yeah, but mm-hmm. that's what he did, or yeah, but it wasn't fair, or any of those things. Yeah. Um, because this kingdom ethic takes mm-hmm. us beyond justification. Yeah. Um, I would, uh, I really believe in some quiet and solitude each day. I think it's very, very important. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> last night, a mutual friend of ours, Wayne, said, silence is God's primary language. <laughs> That's good. And uh, <laughs> I just know the reality in my own life. Yes. The other thing is you don't beat yourself up because anger, like fear, it's, 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 you know, it's part of how we've evolved. It's a protection thing. Sure. Jesus, as I said in the language, he's saying it's don't hold on to yeah, it. Yeah, don't carry it. I don't think carry was, it. Yeah. Don't, yeah, just let it go. Yeah. Um, those would be the things that off the top of my head, yeah. uh, I would say. So let me reiterate. If it's somebody, pray blessing. Mm-hmm. Or an organization, pray deep, pray until it's authentic. In yeah. the beginning, you're just praying in faith, you know, but until <laughs> sure. it's authentic. And the other is we must abide in Christ. It's got to take us back to blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, the humble, the gentle. Yeah. Um, take us back to that as a point of fresh contact again in that moment mm-hmm. with Jesus. Yeah. Let me add one other thought to that. You know, you said we can't carry anger, which means we have to let it go. Um, that requires action too. Uh, for me, sometimes that's just confession. That's literally, I got to call up a friend and say, I'm feeling angry. I have no good reason to feel angry. And, you know, please be praying for me. Please pray release over me. That's I good. need, I need somebody else's, um, <laughs> I need outside prayer in a prayer support in a sense, but also actually just the power of confessing it out loud actually steals the power yes. from the enemy. There's incredible power in confession. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, you mentioned blessed are the meek and I, I was going to bring that up next in terms of reconciliation. Um, there is a, a meekness required to be, a, be in the spirit of reconciliation on an ongoing basis. Um, how do we how do we reconcile with others? How do we be in the spirit of reconciliation without just being a doormat of yeah. uh, constantly just being, you know, oh, woe is me, I'm sorry. And, you know, yeah, yeah, we don't want to sound too Canadian. Sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry. sorry, sorry. <laughs> and, and we don't want to be afraid of people's displeasure. Mm-hmm. That's very strong for lots of people. Yeah. Well, I'll touch it now. Next week, Jesus is going to take us into four examples. Okay. And... Uh, to teach us what's been called by Walter Wink, the third way. Hmm. Um, but, but I, you know, let me give you a little example from next week. Jesus said, give to him who asks. Mm-hmm. He didn't say, give him what he asks for. Oh. Which is very important. Yeah. You and I have both had times where um, homeless has come and said, can I have money? Yeah. And we've walked them over to a, Burger King or something. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a simple example, but uh, another one. <laughs> oh, we've got partners. Can we have money for food? Uh, and we say, "How about we teach you how to garden in such a way that Excellent. you can get high yield." Better produce. example than Burger King. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ooh, I'm looking forward to the third way. I think that's probably actually a good place for us to stop because I like leaving people with a little teaser. Um, I will be gone next week. I'm not sure what that Let means me ask for this you podcast. A oh dear, that's not fair. <laughs> Do you think that I have understood the passage that Jesus is equating anger and murder, lust and adultery? I believe so. Yeah. I mean, I I didn't have any problem with what you had to say. Therefore, <laughs> does it shock you that your father is a murderer and adulterer? <laughs> well, I suppose not. I suppose all of us are. All of us are. Yeah. And Can that's, the, that's that, the great equator. That yeah. frees that, us that from judging. Levels the playing as field As soon as I find yeah. myself yeah. judging or, yeah. oh, that guy, I realize I've just stepped out of the rhythm of the kingdom. I've stepped out of the Jesus way. Yeah. 
That's yeah. why I brought that up, not mm. to embarrass you, but you <laughs> did. Uh, next week, the third way. Um, folks, if you are watching live, uh, thank you so much. If you're watching on YouTube at any point, really, uh, hit that subscribe button. After you hit the subscribe button, a little bell pops up. You hit that bell, and you'll get a notification on your device as soon as we go live, so you don't miss out. And by the way, we do go live from time to time uh, outside of this podcast as well, and there's some really great stuff, updates from our partners and things like that. So do subscribe. Do hit the bell. So and you get every the now and then, mm. you get the triple ding, and it means you get a free trip to Buffalo. Oh, perfect. Don't miss out on your trip to Buffalo. Hello, folks. Uh, I just if, made that up. Sorry. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Nobody will be clamoring for a free trip to Buffalo. I promise. Uh, if you are listening to the audio podcast, thank you so much. We would really appreciate it if you'd go ahead and give us, just take a moment, give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app of choice. That's how others discover what we're doing here. Uh, and we want more people to come on board. Uh, write to us. We love hearing from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, podcast at impactnations.com. If you've got questions on today's teaching, uh, questions on what this third way is, maybe you got te- uh, questions for, for next week, uh, write them in, and we'll be sure to include them in our discussion. Uh, if you need to subscribe, if you're not yet subscribed and you just stumbled upon this somehow, if you head to impactnations.com slash podcast, there's all buttons across the top to subscribe on all your favorite podcast apps, or you can even just listen to episodes right there on the website too. So check out our website. It's a good website. We worked hard on that thing. That website was designed by uh, folks who have graduated from our skills and business programs in Uganda. How cool is yeah. that? And it's they, a good website too. Yeah, they they, they, they come out of the slums of Kampala yeah, yeah. and it's like, pro level yeah it's so awesome. it is not like pro level it is, it is pro pro level. absolutely yeah it's very high powered yeah all right folks thank you so much for joining us we can't wait to see you again next week be blessed bye-bye